Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Uncommon Energy Pokemon TCG podcast with your hosts, yours truly, trainer Chip Ritchie and the regional champion, five-time regional champion, Azul Garcia Griego. What's going on, Azul? How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Excited to get our first episode uh, out there and on the way. Uh, and we got a lot to talk, a lot to talk about um, with uh, regionals just happening and a regionals coming up. That's right. Brisbane regionals just happened down under over in Australia this past weekend. Lots of results to talk about there. Of course, Mew VMAX ended up winning, but we'll get more into that later. And then Salt Lake City regionals is happening this coming weekend in uh, the States, in America. So we're going to try to uh, get to the Pokemon players prepared for that and maybe kind of analyze as well what we think happened in Brisbane, why the decks did well, uh, that did well, why they did well, right? Uh, so yeah, but before we get into it, since this is our very first episode, I thought it would be a good idea for us to just kind of break down a little bit about who we are, what we do with Pokemon. Uh, so yeah, my name is Chip Ritchie, Trainer Chip Online, and I've been playing since like 2015 in the Pokemon TCG. I've been a lifelong Pokemon fan had Pokemon cards and stuff when I was a kid, but got into the competitive game back in 2015. I've qualified for Worlds two times in the 2017 and 2018 season, uh, but outside of those two seasons, most of my focus in Pokemon has been on creating content and also doing commentary. I did a couple years of grassroots commentary, going to regionals with various different casting companies and then in January of 2020 got invited to be a part of the official Pokemon TCG commentary team so if my voice or name sounds familiar it may be from uh, watching an official Pokemon broadcast so uh, yeah I have loved getting to do that and that is kind of where I'm at right now in the Pokemon TCG. Azul why don't you uh, break it down for us a little bit of your backstory. Yeah so Azul Garcia Griego um, most people know me as Azul GG, which is just my initials. Um, and I've been playing the game since like 2010, uh, pretty much competitively, uh, or very competitively the whole way through. <clears throat> um, some years, um, I guess I haven't gone for my world's invite. Some years I have, uh, and then really took a turn for, uh, or an uptick in that and a turn for the better, I guess in 2015 or 16, when I won the Orlando regional championships, uh, and kind of took on Pokemon, time later that year as far as like content creation goes uh, with YouTube and Twitch and then just kind of going to pretty much every every major event that I possibly could and I've kind of been doing that for a while uh, of course the last couple of years less events but still plenty of content to be made so I've uh, been really grinding it out on uh, Twitch and YouTube and uh, plan to just keep going forward with uh, with everything coming now that we're coming back into that uh, the IRL competitive play. Yeah, and I know we're both very excited for that. And yeah, that's a little bit of our backstory, who we are. We both love the Pokemon TCG. We, uh, you know, it is a huge part of both of our lives. We are very involved in this game, in this community. And we wanted to kind of evolve our content a little bit. We're both established on YouTube, established on Twitch, but wanted to do something a little different and started up a podcast. So it's kind of funny. I think both of us had kind of separately had the idea of like, I kind of want to start a podcast. And uh, yeah, I came to you and threw the idea out there and you were immediately like, yeah, I've been wanting to do that. Let's uh, let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, it's something I've been thinking about for like a while, even like, I don't know, maybe even like uh, a couple of years ago. It's also something that I've always had on my mind. Like sure. people do it. It seems mm -hmm. cool. I like being on other people's podcasts as like a guest. Um, it's always fun. And it's like a different way to kind of... Uh, give your own thoughts and opinions on just information out there uh, on the on the competitive uh, Pokemon TCG. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for our first episode and then uh, hopefully get better and better at doing it as well as this is just kind of our, both of our first times you know, hosting something like this. Yeah, there will certainly be some bumps along the way, especially on the uh, technical front. We've already been trying to figure some stuff out that uh, we've run into, but as long as you guys bear with us, hopefully uh, everything will come out just fine. This podcast should be live on YouTube, but also on all major podcasting platforms, Spotify, Anchor, which I think is actually just kind of the same thing, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, um, 
there's a bunch of other ones on there. I think like nine <laughs> or something like that, nine different podcasting sites. So, uh, yeah. yeah, you can find us just about anywhere. And the name is Uncommon Energy. All you got to do to find us is just search us up like that. And before we get into Brisbane, I just want to talk a little bit more about kind of getting this thing going, where that Uncommon Energy name came from. So, Whenever I we we talked about starting the podcast, we were both like, "Yes, let's do it. We're gonna start a podcast. What are we gonna call it?" And <laughs> that was like, I, like I think when we first talked about this, it was like two or three months ago at this point when we first talked about a podcast. Yeah. And then now, uh, it took a, the the biggest holdup I think was figuring out what we wanted to call it, and we bounced like quite a few different things around, and this is where we ultimately uh, ended up. Yeah, I mean, it's like the hardest part, I feel like, for sure, because <laughs> it's I easy mean, to just do it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's easy just to do it and then talk about the things that you, you want to talk about. Yeah. But the name is definitely the hardest part to I think it's the hardest part so far that we've run into is coming up with a name for the podcast, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but I think we landed pretty, pretty well on on the uh, the uncommon energy name. Uh, we don't want to like go too far into, uh, you know, being attached to the Pokemon game. Uh, but I think we got a pretty, pretty good uh name for you know both both halves of that yeah it's a it's a name that is relevant to pokemon right uncommon like the the uh, card rarity for pokemon you know energy is a huge part of the pokemon tcg and most special energies are uncommon energies as well uh but also you know maybe we bring a little bit of different type of energy to the podcast uh you know something that some may consider uncommon and you know (laughs) (laughs) here we are uh and yeah, like like you said, I don't think we wanted to. We it's a name that I feel like if you know it's about Pokemon, like it makes sense. But if you just see the name, you're not going to immediately associate it. Like, oh, that's a Pokemon podcast, which I think leaves us open to other avenues in the future, which is something we both wanted to do. We love Pokemon; it's what we're all about right now. But you know, if we want to talk about other things in the future at some point, I think we're going to do that, which I think is uh, is great. So yeah, this is a new form of content for the both of us, and I think we're both really excited. Now, moving into Brisbane, so down under in Australia, there was the regional championships this weekend. Before we talk about the results, though, this was the very first Pokemon tournament in over two years. And obviously, we are living in a completely different world right now in March of 2022 compared to where we were in February, March of 2020. Things look a lot different and there's, you know, there's, we've, we've been through a global pandemic and, you know, COVID is still a very real and uh, raging thing. So, you know, we there had to be uh, certain protocols in place that Pokemon has stuck to. And so we're just going to talk about some of those things that went down in Brisbane and how Pokemon's COVID protocols kind of interacted with the realities of playing the Pokemon TCG. So the regular protocols were obviously in place. Masks were required for all people in the venue. Vaccination, of course, was required as well. And uh, Pokemon did scale back on the required testing. They kind of took that away just a couple weeks ago. Uh, Originally, you were going to have to be required to get a test as well. And you couldn't do like an at-home test. It had to be a PCR test, which uh, it's really, it kind of just added another level of... uh, it was kind of more just a pain than anything I felt like. Yeah. And so I, I honestly am very fine with the fact that they scaled that back. You know, I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. I'm ready to go. I'm totally fine to wear my mask. It's just, it felt like just one more unnecessary layer to me. So I was kind of glad to see that they scaled that back. Yeah. I don't know. It did feel a little bit like, I don't, and I don't think it had to be a PCR test. Like I think there was, you could do some kind of at home. What I had Not, read was it, that you could do an at home test. If, it was signed off on by a doctor. So if you had a doctor oh, okay. at home, like if like, so like a, a senior or something, like if their parent is a doctor, right? Like, or, okay. Okay. You know, if you know, you as an adult, you have a parent that's a doctor that can sign off on it for you or something like that, or a family member. But yeah, it, it, it was definitely, if it was just an at home test, no big deal. I don't think, but it's just, you had to like make appointments and stuff. And, depending on insurances and things like that, sometimes you'd have to pay because if you're a healthy person trying to get a COVID test, it's a little bit harder than if you're someone who feels like they've been exposed or sick, right? Then it's a lot easier to get a a test. So uh, it was a little, uh, you know, I think it's, it was kind of a fine thing that they scaled it back because, you know, if you're vaccinated, if you're wearing a mask, you are very safe and protected uh, from the COVID-19 virus. 
So yeah, it definitely definitely felt like a little bit on. Uh, it definitely felt like a little bit extra to add on there, and then like they definitely couldn't do at home tests because that would been impossible to uh, <laughs> like check to make sure everyone actually did right. their at home test exactly when they did it. So yeah. I mean, it was something um, yeah, I like I, I was going to do it if I had to do it. Right. Like, yeah. and you were, would have as well. And, and I'm sure most players would have, but it just kind of feels like it added an unnecessary extra layer to something that was already going to be very safe, requiring masks and vaccines. Definitely. But in Brisbane, we saw kind of a little bit further enactment of the COVID protocols and a little bit of a conversation I saw sparked up on Twitter at the start of this week was uh, about the inability for players to touch their opponent's cards, which is actually not something that is mentioned in the written Pokemon COVID protocols, but I believe just a decision that was made by whatever tournament organizer there was, or maybe someone at Pokemon who was at the event. I don't exactly know where the ultimate decision came from, but what I do know is that Pokemon players were not allowed to touch their opponent's cards, which includes cutting your opponent's deck, shuffling, or checking the discard pile, which I think a lot of people were a little concerned about. Does this leave options for your opponent to stack their deck a little easier? Does it leave <laughs> options for your opponent to have be touching their discard pile more than they necessarily should be, open up opportunities for someone to slip something from their discard pile back into their hand, stuff like that? These are all kind of complaints I have seen on Twitter. What are your thoughts, Azul, on kind of that mentality? Is this really that big of a deal? I mean, yeah, so it isn't in the, the the TPCI protocol or whatever thing they put out there. So is this just a TO like, oh, it makes sense that you shouldn't be able to, if you touch your opponent's deck, there's a higher chance that you actually get, uh, you know, can can attract, can get COVID. If, if, mm-hmm. And then the TO was like, okay, so you can't cut your deck, you can't shuffle the deck. Is it just like a TO's decision? Uh, I talked about this a little bit on my stream and I was like, if a scientist comes to us and is just like, yeah, it's going to be quite a bit higher chance that you're going to uh, potentially get COVID from your opponent. If you guys are touching each other's decks, then I'd be like, okay, it kind of makes sense. But I actually don't know. We're all in there in a room, masked up, vaccinated. Is this actually going to increase the chance, you know, of, of, of catching something um, by not cutting or shuffling or checking your opponent's discard pile? Um, Like if it's not, then it kind of, it's kind of one of those things where it's kind of like a, I was trying to come up with a term with it yesterday on the stream as well, where it's basically it doesn't do anything, but it makes it kind of look like it does something. You know what I'm saying? Um, sure. Because <clears throat> if it doesn't, if it doesn't actually increase the risk of uh, catching uh, catching something past the, the uh, past what we already have going on, the max, everyone's vax and all that stuff, then there's there's kind of no point to have it there. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's like an extra. It's like a, a second layer of bulletproof glass when you already have a layer of bulletproof <laughs> glass or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, sure, sure. Um, so if it's just unnecessary, then I think it's unnecessary, and um, shouldn't exist because i know i'm someone i i <laughs> i check my opponent's power like once a turn so yeah yeah uh once on, one, at least once on their turn sometimes on my turn as well so i'm someone who uh, i would love to be able to access my opponent's discard pile but i mean if, if if it is like that big of a risk to have other people touching each other's cards and stuff then then you know it, i'm fine with it but um yeah we haven't heard anything official for for salt like this is just what happened at uh, brisbane of course yeah, we'll have to see if this is the policy that is enacted as well in Salt Lake. So as far as cutting your opponent's deck goes, because obviously after your opponent shuffles, there should be some way for you to be able to cut their deck. So since you weren't allowed to touch your opponent ca- opponent's cards, from what I understand you were able to do is you were able to tell your opponent, hey, cut it about halfway to the top, cut it about, you know, three-fourths the way to the bottom, stuff like that. Or your opponent, kind of what I think I've seen uh, on Japanese streams is, Uh, After shuffling, the player will set their deck out into three piles, and then the opponent can say, okay, this is the bottom pile, this is the middle pile, this is the top pile, and you can order them however you want, which I think is a fine solution to that, but, uh, you know, like you said, in this, is it really a necessary, a a solution that needs to be had, right? Um, So like I said, there was some kind of conversation online about this opening up the door for potential cheating for potential shady things to happen is that something that you would be worried about with a policy like this as well not really and i hate to see those kind of discussions happen because i think it's just like such a weird negative way to look at anything in life like why is the first thing you worry about is cheating like how is that like the first thing you think about if it's actually protecting people you know from from potentially catching something 
um, if it's like a reasonable extra layer, you know what I'm saying? Like if we're not wearing bulletproof class and this is the bulletproof or bulletproof armor and this is the bulletproof armor, then we should be wearing it, right? That's what, if, it, if it is, then we should be wearing it. But if it's, you know, a third layer of bulletproof armor, I mean, at some point we won't be able to walk because it'll be way too heavy and we're just going to fall <laughs> over, right? So <laughs> We're going to be waddling um, around, right? Exactly, right? So um, I can't I can't even imagine like that. That would never be like something I would think about. And I don't care. Like, I don't care if if the, the chances of cheating do go up from this i'm just hoping no one cheats and that if it is you know if this is that first layer of bulletproof armor then then we should be wearing it and we should not be cutting and shuffling our opponent's deck and that shouldn't be a a discussion or a problem to really think about it just feels like a weird kind of way to think about the situation we should be happy enough that we're getting to play in an irl event right now um overall i think so this is how things were in brisbane this past weekend it's yet to be seen what the policy will be in Salt Lake. Maybe Brisbane was just kind of a test to see if there's any issues, something like that. Because in the written protocols right now, there is nothing that says you can't touch your opponent's card. I think there's actually a sentence that literally mentions being able to touch your opponent's cards. So uh, if that is the case, if it's written down in the COVID protocols, and then when we get to the tournament, the TO says, hey, just so you know, you can't do this. I feel like uh, that'll be kind of a confusing thing for some players. So it's just yet to be determined how that is exactly going to play out. So now we'll move on to the results of Brisbane. Enough about all the COVID stuff. Let's talk about some Pokemon cards and break down these results. So there was 181 players in this event Pretty decent size for an Australian Regionals. Usually the Australian Regionals are a good bit smaller than the rest of the world. Just a little bit smaller of a player base there, but still some amazing players. There was eight Swiss rounds and then a cut directly to the top eight, which was played on the second day. Um, so what we're going to look at here is the top 16 decks and players and kind of break down the meta share of the top 16, the best finishing 16 players in the room. Seven Mews, seven Arceus variants, and then two Gengars. Now, I know it's been a long time since we have had Pokemon tournaments, but it's pretty rare, and I can't really think of any time at all in Pokemon history uh, where in the top 16, there was only three different types of decks, which I guess maybe isn't quite fair to say since the Arceus variants can differ so widely, right? But yeah. there, I mean, it's kind of just three different strategies, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the Arceus uh, variants are definitely quite a bit different from each other. Some of them are actually the exact same, I think. I think it was, or were they all completely different, actually? Was there was any two, of them... two that were playing Intellian. So yeah, just to break okay. down the seven Arceus variants, second place was the Duraludon Arceus deck. Then we've got a Dark Box Arceus, which was kind of the first time that we've seen the Dark Box strategy have the Arceus thrown into it. Same thing with Suicune, which made top eight, a Suicune deck, which has been a very successful deck in the past, thrown in with a couple of Arceus in there. And we've got Ice Rider Arceus, We've got the Counter Arceus, which is just kind of the version of the deck that, you know, plays the Galarian Moltres V, the Galarian Zapdos V, the Zamazenta V from Brilliant Stars. These cards that are just meant to counter whatever weakness your opponent has. Uh, so we've got that one, and then two players who are on the Intellion version. Yeah, so I mean, like, the Intellion build is kind of like the straight Arceus build. The other ones are kind of like 50-50, and then you have the ones like the Suicune build or the Duraludon build, where it's kind of just like a part of their engine to just kind of, it's just kind of like a nice inclusion to have in there. Um, and the Counterbox build, I guess, is also like 50% Arceus, like 50%. But some of them are a little bit more centered around Arceus, some of them a little bit less. But it's kind of just like a support Pokemon, it almost feels like. In yeah, of, in like, certain giving, decks, for sure, yeah. Yeah, when Tapu Lele was a card, everyone played one to four Tapu Lele, right? So it's like, I don't know, maybe it kind of fills that void right now. It kind of is like taking over Inteleon's spot a little bit, but then you also play it with Inteleon. So <laughs> um, like back when Inteleon first became an engine, it was literally played in everything. Yeah. Um, and it didn't attack very often, but, you know, it was still kind of there. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's like too big of a shock. It's like the big new, big new card um, that is very versatile because it's just kind of a colorless Pokemon. And I think it's kind of working as intended from the from the creators of the game for sure though i think i don't think i don't think anything's too big of a surprise to them for sure yeah colorless pokemon that deals 200 damage and accelerates energy and has an insanely good consistency ability i think it's just obvious it's gonna fit into a lot of different stuff right which is what yeah. we have seen happen so the deck 
excuse me, the deck that did eventually win the event was Mew VMAX. I think to just about no one's surprise, and then also to no one's surprise, one of the best players in the country of Australia, Natalie Miller, was the one piloting it. And there was actually a few people on this exact 60 or 59 cards, I believe they said on Twitter. I know Kaiwen got top four with the same list. I believe there was another player in top 16 and another player in top 32, all yeah. playing the same 60 or around the same 60 of this Mew V Max list. So Azul, break it down for us. Kind of the unique things about this list compared to what the other Mew lists have been like uh, previous to this event. Yeah, I mean, there was like a couple things that maybe stood out to some people, which was like uh, most people have been cutting phones uh, towards the end of last week, and there was four phone in this build. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Echoing Horn was the next one, which pretty much everyone had been picking up on, I think, towards the end of last week. Um, mm -hmm. It's just like such a solid inclusion in the deck. But if you didn't know, Echo Horn, Echoing Horn is good. If you just figured out from uh, the Brisbane Regionals, it's very good in there. It's been good in there for a while. And of course, the biggest... Um, or the biggest inclusion slash not inclusion was how many DTE and the lack of basic energy uh, in the build for sure, uh, which is it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, what, that's weird, that's crazy. Uh, but then you think about it a little bit longer and it's like, well, it kind of just makes sense. Why would you attach one energy from turn when you could be <laughs> attaching two when it doesn't really matter to have basic energy included in the deck? Um, it doesn't really skew any of your matchups enough to keep including those, even though you know, Taraldon is a deck. I mean, Natalie even took it down in the finals, so... Um, I guess the final thing, like the last one would be just only two stadiums, only two stadiums, yeah. Paths of the Peak, of course, very good against Mew, but I think for the meta, it wasn't that bad of a call, and I think uh, maybe moving forward, it's just correct to add a, add a couple more. Yeah, it seems like an easy change if you feel like there's a lot of Path to the Peak decks in your area, or if you're expecting a lot for whatever regionals you're preparing for, you might want to play a few more stadiums. But if you're just expecting a bunch of Mews, having a lot of stadiums is actually pretty bad, especially if you're playing all the same stadium as the other Mew players, because then it's just an unthinnable card that clogs up your hand and means you get to draw less with Fusion Strike System. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I think only like in, going into that tournament, I tried to Intellion was the only deck that was like consistently playing Path to the Peak and they were playing like two. So unless they go first and throw down the Path to the Peak immediately, you have like a turn to kind of blow through your deck, set up a path, uh, set up a counter stadium, either by Rotom Phonate to the top of your deck or just holding it in the hand, uh, get some energy and play whatever. You have, a, you have a turn to kind of work with. Uh, and then the Mew VMAX deck in general functions so much better under Path with the three GTE because you just need a, a VMAX and a GTE and you're swinging. You don't need to, to necessarily boss chase anything or get some crazy tablet combo. Just doing two, 290 damage to their active or knocking out a two-price Pokemon off the bench is usually pretty good. Another thing I definitely want to talk about, you know, you just talking about the damage mod right there made me think of this, is just the, the double choice belt. I feel like some people were kind of just on the one choice belt. Two choice belt definitely seems like the way just an additional damage modifier for this deck is crazy. It's actually just not unreasonable to Oko a VMAX in one turn because the games are so short, right? You can just kind of hold your power tablets early, your opponent attacks with a VMAX, and then you just try to blow through everything, throw the choice belt down, play a bunch of tablets, get that one hit knockout. Um, choice belt really feels like a card that has unlocked the potential for Mew big time, makes it much easier to get to those numbers on, you know, Pokemon like Arceus V-Star, any other VMAXs, of course, the Mirror Match as well. Um, okay, so moving on from that winning Mew list, the second place deck was Arceus Duraludon. Pretty similar list to the one that Riley Holbert used to win the Full Grip Games 1K at the very start of the Brilliant Stars format on the Brilliant Stars release weekend. I believe only a couple cards different from when I looked over it pretty briefly. Um, Arceus Duraludon, I think... At first, a lot of people felt like this was the best way to play Arceus. This was just a natural partner. Uh, Duraludon seems like it's pretty good against Mew VMAX. But in reality, it's not like an auto win of a matchup by any means. Mew is just kind of that powerful and that good. But Arceus Duraludon did still make second place. I kind of felt like Arceus Duraludon had kind of fallen out of favor a little bit as the meta had evolved past the full grip games. Um, were you at all surprised to see it take second place? Or would you say that, you know, seeing one in the top finishing lists of the tournament isn't that big of a surprise? No, I'm not like super surprised. <clears throat> and I actually uh, did. Uh, I worked with the player who got second place. Oh, nice. Uh, a little bit with some coaching uh, leading up to the tournament. I, I do agree with you. It did kind of feel like 
the deck was falling off a little bit. So I was a little bit worried for him going into the tournament, um, but it turns out that no worries were needed um, because the main reason was because the other Arceus decks seemed to be favored against it more so than the Mew matchup because they have, you know, they have healing. And, you know, this build tries to just be really consistent about Arceus into two Duraludon and just go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the healing, when this goes up against another Arceus deck, the Charon's Care uh, was a little bit scary, but I don't think too many of the other Arceus and Teleon decks or Arceus decks in general played that much healing. And I think just kind of the consistency and power of this deck um, is is still like very relevant to to being relevant in the meta. Like I think like if you're just doing that much damage every single turn and then going into Duraldon, which can make things weird against a lot of matchups, even other Arceus decks, you know, they have to have DTEs in play and stuff like that. You're one hit KOing pretty much anything with the Duraldon that isn't a V-Star or a V-Max. Um, and then the four collapse stadium is always going to be super annoying um, against literally anything. Everything wants access mm-hmm. to five bench spaces. You go up against Mew. You go up against um, even up against other Arceus decks. They want that fifth bench space. You just any try and be annoying the, and hit hard. Any deck with the Intellian engine as well, right? Like the, they yeah. all want a bunch of Sobbles and they need their attackers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They all want they all want five bench spaces, and you don't care about having four, so may as well just put a collapse stadium in play over and over and over again, uh, and either be discarding their Pokemon or just constantly limiting them to four bench and making their their turns and plays awkward turn to turn. And I don't know, the deck is just you know hits hard, uh, hits reasonably fast, like attacking for that much turn two. I don't think it's slow, uh, <laughs> but it's not as fast no. as Mew, I guess. And uh, but yeah, it definitely doesn't have like a an overpowering Mew matchup now that people have added in that um, the Echoing Horn. I think that really adds like enough lines for the matchup to Mew, where it is probably about a 50-50, maybe just slightly favored still for uh, the Arceus Duraludon. So I've seen a lot of people online, and I know you have as well, talking about how how can you play only special energy in Mew? You're just going to auto lose to Duraludon, right? And I think that's the mentality of a lot of people. The skyscraper ability on Duraludon VMAX says that no Pokemon with special energy can deal damage to it. So how does a list with only special energy stand a chance? Well, it just so happens that Mew VMAX has a pretty good attack with Max Miracle, which hits through all effects, which you can just get two Mew VMAXs in play copy it with your first Mew VMAX and the active that has a DTE on it, or if you just have two Fusion Strike energies on it, that works too. And then by just using Choice Belt and then a couple Power Tablets over the course of two turns, you can still just two-hit KO a VMAX. And then the Horn, I think, is, like you mentioned, a huge factor in closing out the game for, for Mew. Yeah, I mean, that's basically all you need. Yeah, you can do the Horn combo. Sometimes you just, like, stop them from being able to play the game completely. Like, if they go first yeah. and they attach and to their Arceus and you... You knock it out with Meloetta, you escape over into the active. Maybe you're playing catcher, whatever. Like you just you can stop from being able to play the game pretty aggressively sometimes. Uh, if they do set up, it gets it gets pretty close though, and it's not hard for them to set up. Um, their Pokemon are pretty big, and there's there's some big charms in there as well to make them even bigger. But yeah, it's definitely not one of those matches where you look at it. And maybe when you first look at it, if you're not experienced with the matchup or experienced with the decks, you look at it you're like, oh, it's all special energy. Duradon says you can't hit me with special energy. Okay, so then Duradon wins. But if you dig a little bit deeper and you see, you know. <clears throat> how aggressive Mew can be for taking knockouts plus the Echoing Horn. And then you do have the Max Miracle. If you need to, I'm sure you never want to hit a dra- into a Duraldon VMAX, but if you need to, two a uh, Duraldon VMAX because of Choice Belt now with the Max Miracle isn't very difficult. Yeah, not too big of a deal at all. Moving on through the rest of Top Cut, I would say probably the biggest surprise deck for the weekend. There wasn't any like crazy, crazy surprises, I don't think, but... Uh, the Arceus Dark Box deck. So Dark Box, I don't really feel right calling this deck Dark Box. It's kind of what everyone has gone to. But when I think about Dark Box, I'm thinking about, you know, the Darkrai Umbreon with the Weaviles from a couple years ago, right? Uh, this is like the Moltres Intellian Hoopa deck, which has been a little popular. Most people previous to this were playing it with the Galarian Weezing, which has the neutralizing gas ability to turn off your opponent's abilities. But Peter Lowe made top four with an Arceus, Galarian Moltres, and Intellian deck. So having all these strong one-prize attackers and then just kind of throwing in that powerful two-prize option of the Arceus V-Star and taking it all the way to get top four. Yeah, that's an interesting take on the build. I don't know how much... Uh, Weezing is just really weak into Arceus. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think that's Arceus. really why people are off yeah. of the Weezing now because it's still good against Mew, but it's just useless against Arceus almost. Yeah. Despite shutting off the Starbirth ability, like if they just have the DTE, right. they get the knockout set up the next attacker and then you're not doing very much to a two prize Pokemon. Sometimes you're even three hit KOing it. 
Um, it's definitely an interesting take on the deck. I would have to play around with this one to actually really get an idea if I like it or not. The one thing I do like, um, and something I've been like theorizingly adding to my own build of just kind of the Hoopa Moltres uh, deck was the Moltres V, because I think it's a really big part of the Mew matchup to kind of just be able to get that first KO on that first Mew VMAX sooner, because what Mew VMAX likes to do is they like to use Mew VMAX while Moltres, the baby glare and Moltres can't get the one-hit KO. Uh, and with Choice Belt, you can get up to 300 damage, but if they've got a Fusion Strike energy, you can't quick shooting it. Yeah. Uh, but now, after they take that first, maybe second knockout, you can just go Moltres V and knock out that, that Mew VMAX and kind of accelerate the game a little bit earlier uh, and put yourself actually ahead of the prize exchange by an extra turn. So um, the, the Moltres V I really like, the Arceus in there, I'm not convinced uh it's worth using to be honest it seems it's i mean it's arceus so it's not bad but yeah if it fits with everything else going on yeah i mean i would imagine it's probably you so the problem with galarian moltres v against mu v max is that it's a two prize pokemon that usually has to be in play for a turn before you can attack with it so it is a liability you put it onto the bench you use dire flame wings get an energy accelerated to it and then Mew Max just plays boss's orders and knocks it out. So then you got no yeah. value out of it. But I believe, in theory, between Shady Dealings and Starbirth, the powerful abilities, and the one copy of Raihan that this deck played, you can set it up in one single turn. You throw it onto the bench, yeah. Raihan to it, Dire Flame Wings, attach for turn, take the knockout. So maybe throwing the Arceus in there just is makes it that much more consistent to set up that specific play. Yeah, I could see it. I think you can do that without the Arceus. I don't think your Arceus against Mew is surviving. That's <laughs> to fair too, right? To Starbird. If there's no Moltres like, in play for them to boss, they're probably just going to boss the Arceus. Yeah. <laughs> so that is. I don't think the Arceus fair. is sticking around. I think you can pull it off with just the Raihan. Like the Moltres plus the Raihan, I think that's that is good enough probably most of the time. Because yeah, I don't think Arceus is going to survive the turn to use the Starbirth up against Mew very often. Okay, so we'll just kind of group the rest of the Arceus variants into this next section. So. Arceus Darkbox, Arceus Duraludon, we've already talked about. The other standout variants, what are kind of your thoughts here between these other four? We've got Suicune, Ice Rider, two players who were playing the kind of standard Intellian version, which I feel like was the most popular version online heading into this weekend. Um, and then also that Counterbox, the the weakness, uh, you know, the various Galarian Birds version of the deck um so i'm not a huge fan of that one the counter box build i feel like you just actually have an unfavorable mu v max matchup i mean you got the multraces in there but i feel like you have so many two prize pokemon to play and yeah. dt is so good at just keeping mu ahead of the prize trade after you use your meloetta that it's just it's hard for that one to actually keep up um <clears throat> besides that's a really i think it's a really cool deck um because i always like kind of counter box decks in general because you always put cards in and out to beat certain matchups mm -hmm. but when you have to beat mu uh, it's tough to want to play that build right now. I'm not surprised by the Inteleon ones doing well, of course. The Ice Rider was a little bit surprised by. Well, not surprised. It's just like, it feels so weird. Ice Rider feels so weird, especially in online tournaments. It's sometimes winning them and it's sometimes nowhere to be seen. More so nowhere to be seen as of late. Uh, and this weekend deck is another one interesting, kind of like the the Arceus Darkbox build, where I just, I'm not convinced that Arceus actually makes the deck better. Because um, we've seen the Suicune Pats of the Peak Inteleon thing. This is not like a new thing, but now all of a sudden there's just like an Arceus line in here. But I'm not convinced that that actually makes the deck any better. And maybe if you just go with the straight Suicune build, that might be the more optimal way to run the deck. But Arceus is so good. I could definitely see it being it pretty good. I need to play around with it a little bit more, though. Um, definitely one where I'm like kind of on the fence. But Arceus Intellion, I think, has kind of showed itself to be a, a very solid deck. You even had the world champion, Henry Brand, playing that at the event. Um, I think I, I heard him in a, a podcast or something saying you either play Mew VMAX or you play to have fun. Uh, and he chose fun for this event uh, and went with the Arceus Inteleon, which definitely sounds like more fun to play than uh, than uh, than the Mew VMAX. But he also did not make, uh, he did not make top eight at this one. So, I mean, who knows if he had picked up the Mew VMAX, who knows where he could have been. Right. I've definitely seen that sentiment a lot from players online. Players who were testing leading up to Brisbane, uh, players who are now testing this week leading into Salt Lake. It's like, why are we not just all playing Mew VMAX? Because the deck is just that good. People are trying to find counters for it, but even against the counters, it's like 50-50 at worst. And whenever a deck is 50-50 against the counters to the deck, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So there's the rest of the Arceus variants. I definitely uh, thought that the two Intellians being the standout variant, you know, made sense, but I was kind of surprised that that was the only variant that there was multiple of, right? That there wasn't either more Intellians, uh, that there was just so much variety between the players who had Arceus 
uh, in their lists a little bit. And I wonder if we usually I feel like we get a like meta share pie chart from Arcanine and Arcanine did host this tournament online. So I'm kind of uh, surprised we haven't seen like a meta share pie chart or anything like that, because normally pre pandemic, that was something that uh, was always a good good way to get a grasp of what the the meta looked like for an event. Yeah, they probably saw that Mew was 50% of it and just like got, <laughs> got depressed by that and decided to not release it. Do we really want to put this out there? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that could, could be could be the case. So closing out the top 16, we've got two players with Gengar. So no one made top eight with Gengar, but we had Jose de la Garma at 12th place and uh, Han Zhang with it in 16th place. So Gengar, not... I think kind of a deck that people recognize has a lot of power, but it just needs so much more to get set up. You need to set up the Hound Dooms on your bench. You're trying to get a bunch of energies onto a big VMAX Pokemon, and you're damaging yourself while you do it. So you give up three prizes, and, you know, damaging yourself against Mew VMAX just kind of opens up the door for them to easier hit for one-hit KO numbers. So, uh, yeah, Gengar VMAX. Were you surprised to see uh, two players in the top 16 with it? Not overly, because I think it does have a favorable Mew VMAX matchup, even if it is like a little bit more of a clunkier deck. I don't know what you want to really call it. It's hard to compare anything to Mew as far as consistency goes, but uh, it's definitely like slightly clunkier. Uh, the big question mark for me was kind of like, how is the, the Arceus matchups? And so far, it seems like it's pretty 50-50 against most Arceus decks. And the Mew matchup, while it is favored, I want to say, it's not like extremely favored. You're maybe looking at like... 45 45 like, yeah maybe yeah. 60 40 um it's not yeah it's not extremely favored for um for the gengar deck and then yeah like the arceus match was good as i was kind of curious about but it seems to be pretty close but i mean if if a gengar build can be built to handle those two matchups and we like we did see uh one of them had the stone journer one of them had the single strike urshifu so uh, a couple fighting attackers in there of course i think most people played the dunsparce in their arceus decks but even then forcing them to get the dunsparce or catching them off guard in game one and getting the kind of uh, uh a big upper hand by utilizing your fighting pokemon can be a pretty big deal as well um so if that's what you need and that that gets you that matchup to at least 50 50 um because I can't imagine it being worse than 50-50 when Gengar can one-hit KO Arceus. And I feel like that, I mean, the deck's in a pretty good spot. Yeah, I'm not surprised, really, that uh, a couple made it in there. Especially with Mew being so popular, you got a favorable Mew matchup, then that's usually a good place to start. And you just have to beat a couple other things to kind of, you know, push through to something like a top 16 or a top 8. Sure. Well, you talked about the two fighting Pokemon. One player played Stone Journer. One player played the Single Strike Urshifu V. They have pros and cons to both of them. Single Strike Urshifu V is a little better against non-fighting weak Pokemon because it can still hit for a lot of damage with Impact Blow. But Stone Journer, uh, it has a lower base damage, but it's a one-prize Pokemon. So that makes it a lot more valuable in something like the Rapid Strike Malamar matchup uh, to have that one-prize option. And yeah, it can still hit really hard as a one-prizer, even though it's not going to do as much to a non-fighting weak Pokemon. So do you have a preference between either of those two fighting types in this deck? Yeah, I think you'd favor the Stone Journey. You already have Gengar to get those numbers that Urshifu would get. And mm -hmm. then, especially up against the, uh, the Arceus matchups, the second Arceus, the next Arceus is going to always KO you, but it could be one prize card versus two prize cards. So I don't see a reason to ever give your opponent that extra prize card um, in that situation. Maybe they didn't even remember Stone Journey existed and were just like, well, I want a fighting single strike <laughs> Pokemon. I'm going with the Urshi Urshifu's sure, the sure. go-to. Maybe they didn't even remember Stone Journey was a card or didn't even know about it, to be honest. Because it's one of those cards that... I mean, besides like the single prize, single strike deck that was played a little bit last format, you never really see that card ever. So right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't definitely don't um, blame them for not remembering that it existed and just going with like, well, I want a fighting Pokemon. Let's put the Urshifu in there. So for the support, just one last thing on the Gengar deck. Both players were playing a 2-2 line of Bibarel with its Industrious Incisors ability. Something I think a lot of players were excited to see come out in Brilliant Stars. Of course, great memories of playing with Octillery for quite a few years. Great card from the Breakthrough expansion with Abyssal Hand. Players, uh, yeah, I think we're excited about this card, but it just there's so many other draw options out there. It didn't really make much sense to play. Like you obviously don't want to play the MUV Max. Arceus kind of pairs the best with Intellian, It feels like right now, and then obviously Starbirth is also great for consistency. Uh, but Gengar is a deck that doesn't really have great draw power. It feels like that's kind of the one area it's lacking most. So Bibarel is what these players chose to kind of fill that void for them. 
Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, we've been seeing actually like a ton of success from like the, all the successful Gengar uh, decks in online tournaments have had the B barrel in there, and I think B barrel actually just combos really well with Battle VIP pass. Yeah, yeah. Because you're you're trying to just maximize your outs to basic Pokemon on the turn one, and you very often end up with like a an extra Hound Hour, an extra Gengar in play. So why not make it a Bidoof that becomes a B barrel that is good for the rest of the game to help you draw cards? Um, yeah, you may as well take advantage of that. And yeah, I think it, I think it combos really it fits and combos really well in there, um, for sure. Well, any last second takeaways or thoughts from Brisbane? Uh, any other big surprises to mention? And uh, any other, you know, just kind of thoughts on how the meta shaped up? Um, no, it's, I mean, it's nothing too crazy. Mew was, I guess, the most, was it the most popular deck in top eight? It was tied for, the, I guess you tie it with, it was the most popular deck in top 16. No surprises there. Bunch of different Arceus variants, which is cool to see. Uh, the most common one was the Intelli one, Intelli one, which was expected um, because of the, uh, I mean, the, what, what we've been seeing from people playing Arceus going into that event, most people were playing the Intellion build. Um, and then, the, I mean, the Gengars were the biggest surprise, I think, out of anything, two of them in top 16. I guess it's not really a huge surprise, but out of things that could be surprises, <laughs> um, I guess that's that's kind of it. But nothing, sure. nothing too shocking, for sure. Okay. Well, we will move on from Brisbane. Congratulations to all the finishers and, of course, to the champion, Natalie Miller. Great play, and uh, yeah, uh, well done. Congratulations. So moving on, before we get into our preview of Salt Lake and how Brisbane will impact this upcoming tournament, we got a, a fun little segment here, as and I'm excited for this. This is, you know, the kind of fun stuff we get to do. And we got a little game we're going to play every single week. This is going to be a recurring segment on the podcast called Guess That Flavor Text. And it's something that the listeners at home will get to play along with. Each of us, each week, will pick a card and read the flavor text on it. So if anyone does not know, each Pokemon card has a little bit of extra text in the bottom right-hand corner, which is commonly referred to as the flavor text. It gives you just a little bit more... Yeah, a little spice, you know, added on to the card. And it's always a little fun little blurb. Think of it like a Pokedex entry almost in the video games. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of different Pokemon cards out there. So a lot of different uh, guess that flavor texts to guess. So this week I have picked out a flavor text and Azul is going to try to guess which Pokemon this flavor text belongs to. And you at home, please feel free to join in, of course, as well. See if you can figure out what Pokemon this is describing. It has special pads on the backs of its feet and one on its nose. Once it is raring to fight, these pads radiate tremendous heat. Um, I forget the name of the Pokemon, but I now know what it is. But, oh my gosh, what is the name? <laughs> uh, so what, what's your thought process? What, what, what in well, the... It's Cinderace's Basic. But I don't remember what Cinderace's basic <laughs> name is. There's Raboot, Cinderace, play, and did you play Sword and Shield Azul? Yes, I actually picked. Who the was your rabbit. starter, Azul? It was <laughs> the rabbit. The rabbit. But I don't remember what his name is now off the top of my head. It is Scorbunny. Scorbunny. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you figured it out or you clicked on the link in the little spreadsheet, but uh... I did not click on the link. I did not click on the immediately once I like reread it and I read the on its nose part i was like oh a pat on its nose <laughs> i know that pokemon but then i couldn't remember its name so shout outs to score bunny and uh yeah if you uh guessed correctly at home congratulations to you as well next week azul is gonna pick out a card and read its flavor text for me to try to guess the card and then of course you will continue to be able to guess along at home Moving on from that, Salt Lake City is coming up this weekend, the first regionals that either of us will have been to since March of 2020. Azul, I'm super excited. I know you're super excited as well. But there's a lot of players who this will be their first time attending a regional championships or maybe their first time attending a Pokemon tournament at all. So someone like you who's won five regional championships, attended dozens of them, what kind of uh, advice would you give to players who this is their first major Pokemon tournament? Um, not like overthink it or worry about it. Just kind of go to have a good time. Of course, you always want to try your best. Uh, one tip that I give out regularly is make sure you drink some water throughout the tournament for sure. I actually had a, a streak of 
regionals where I would like remember to bring my water bottle and drink water throughout the tournament. And I've never felt so good throughout a regionals, you know, day of playing nine rounds of Pokemon, best two out of three, than the, the than the tournaments where I remember to bring my water bottle and drink water, you know, throughout the day. So uh, drink some water. Don't overthink it. Just go have some fun and play some Pokemon. Yeah, and I would echo that as well. Just if this is your first regionals, don't put any unrealistic expectations on yourself. Like Azul said, you obviously want to play well and do your best, but don't go in expecting to win the whole thing because, you know, the odds are is it's unlikely to happen. It certainly could. Players out there have won their first regional championships that they ever went to. I believe Israel Sosa did that. Um, but it's it's not very likely. And you're still probably if this is your first regionals that means you're probably still a newer player uh even if you started playing in the last couple of years just go for the love of the game have a great time enjoy yourself play some side events like you know just go play pokemon you know buy something at the vendors just enjoy yourself enjoy the environment uh it's an exciting time and there's going to be plenty more regionals to go to just have a good time yeah so moving on to uh, kind of a a topic that i feel like has come up multiple times over the last couple of years, mostly echoed by, you know, some of the good IRL players who don't really participate that much in online events is this idea of the internet player versus the IRL player. So when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, events got canceled and a lot of players kind of just backed off from the game, but it really paved a way for the online era to soar. Online tournaments became huge. We've obviously had the Players' Cup events. We've had team challenges. And then the online limitless platform has just exploded into something that I don't think that uh, anyone would have predicted at the start of the pandemic. And, you know, you can go online to this website and find a Pokemon tournament at almost any time of the day, which is pretty ridiculous any day of the week, uh, which is awesome. So, you know, huge props to Limitless. (laughs) I think Limitless has done more for the Pokemon community than anyone else through the course of this pandemic for the player community of the Pokemon TCG. More than Pokemon has done. I I think Limitless has done the most of anyone. So big props to the whole crew over there. But yeah, this discussion has come up. Do these online results translate into being a great Pokemon TCG player? And I think that's something a lot of people are going to have their eyes on. Some of these players who have popped up is winning a bunch of these online events. Are they going to be able to continue to find success as we get back to these real events? And uh, conversely, these seasoned players who have not been playing for the last two years, who are trying to now hop back in, being removed from the game for a couple of years, do you think that they will continue to see the success they were seeing pre-pandemic? I think it just kind of matters how much, like, extra time each side wants to put into it. So I do think playing IRL is harder than playing online. I think there was, like, a little bit of discussion of that as well. It's just like, well, it's two different things, right? There's open decklist versus closed decklist. And at first, I didn't really care to think about it too much one way or the other so i was like yeah i guess it could be about close it could be about even right different skill sets but after going to the first full grip 1k event i was like no playing in irl is just harder than playing online it just is it's not even close um there's just more things you have to do um to be efficient in in the game when you're playing irl than playing online having like access to your opponent's full 60 and that that there is definitely a different aspect of that of open necklace versus closed necklace um but when you apply closed decklist and it's at an IRL event, it's just it is just harder to 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 play the game uh, IRL. So it is just harder. So I think some people might have some uh, struggles with that. I think possibly, but I think if any of these whatever internet era players who have you only seen success online or whatever uh, want to have success IRL, they will. Um, but it really just comes down really just comes down to the players and if they want to put in the extra time and effort, um, or maybe it'll just be kind of natural for them to just pick it up uh, IRL as well. Um, there might not be more any more extra time or effort needed from them, to be honest. They might be already feeling a good spot, but it's definitely harder to play uh, in real life. So for some of them, it might be a little bit of a struggle, but who knows? Maybe it'll be fine uh, fine for all of them. And as far as the season players coming back, I think it's kind of the same thing. Like, it's not going to be it's not gonna be too much of a struggle. You know, some of them might just be fine to just hop back into it. Pokemon hasn't changed that, changed that much uh, in the last two years as far as uh, the gameplay of it goes. So... Uh, yeah, just got to do the same thing where they put in time with the deck that they want to play for the tournament, and then they'll be fine as well. Okay, well, 
I think there's definitely going to be some growing pains as well for players who have seen success in online tournaments and are playing IRL competitively for the first time, like even if they've played locally or at home. You know, there's a lot of stress that comes with playing at a regional championships, especially as you move through the day. You know, you take a loss early, something like that, and then there's a lot of pressure on those mid to late rounds whenever a loss can just kind of eliminate you from the event. So uh, playing with that pressure is definitely a lot different than when it's just an online tournament that you you know, could just sit at home on your couch and play whatever deck you wanted to play. And if you did well, cool. If you didn't, you know, no problem because you didn't pay anything to enter it. You didn't have to fly somewhere to go play in it. So you, you got a little bit more skin in the game now. So there'll probably be some growing pains with some of the physical aspects of the game as well. You know, the uh, time management, I think, is going to be a big issue potentially for a lot of players. Um if you're not used to playing in a best of three 50 minutes format, uh, best of three 50 minutes is not too bad online because the games move a lot quicker. But IRL, there's shuffling, there's deck searching, there's a little bit more thinking, it feels like. The turns take a bit longer. Knowing when to scoop, I think, is an important skill for a Pokemon player in a best of three format. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think nobody like the percentage of people who actually know how to scoop properly is like one percent or less <laughs> like it's actually it's like actually one of the uh so it's something you don't think about very much because people are always and i think it's fair to be concerned more so with oh they misplayed a major made a major mistake in that game or their the deck list they brought they know was uh a, a bad deck list choice or a bad deck choice so there's so many more bigger glaring weaknesses for players that are like that's like one of those smaller things that you definitely want to try and learn to be efficient with but like a lot of people see a lot of stuff before they even think about, oh, wait, I should have scooped that game earlier. They're thinking about the misplay they made two turns ago instead. Okay, so let's break down the impact of Brisbane Regionals on Salt Lake City. Are people going to be, I'm sure, analyzing the results and kind of testing appropriately? Do you expect most of the Mew players to just be kind of imitating Natalie's list? Uh, do you expect, you know, to see people spicing up their decks with Arceus V-Star, decks that maybe didn't play it previously? What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I can tell you right now, if you're playing basic energy, <clears throat> you should be cutting it. And I know there's in a your lot deck. of... In your Mew deck. In your Mew deck. <laughs> I mean, if you're playing basic psychic energy, you probably should be cutting the whole deck. But Because I can't think of a good basic psychic energy deck right now. Um, <laughs> uh, unless you unless you can come up with some way to beat, to, to kind of take advantage of the fact that Mew is only playing special energy, which I don't think there really is, because the DTE, just being able to use DTEs turn after turn after turn, you're still getting four or five attacks off in a game as Mew VMAX, that's more than enough to close out a game against pretty much anything out there. So unless you can find some way to abuse that, cut the basic energy. A lot of people are very stubborn, I feel like, in Pokemon in general. Um, it's something I like to personally take advantage of when there's like back-to-back -back regionals and stuff like that. It's kind of what I did with Atlantic City into Knoxville. I was like, people are still going to be playing Picaron. People are still going to be playing... They actually just lose to Mew VMAX or uh, Mew Tag Team. I was like, I'm just going to play Mew Tag Team again. Um, and I feel like... You just got to jump on. You got to not be afraid to make the change. It's not a huge change to list. I know a lot of people like to get comfortable with their list. They're scared to make changes. They're afraid mm -hmm. to make the adjustment. You got to jump on it as soon as possible. Uh, if your goal is to do well or win the tournament, cut the basic energy, put in the DTEs and just start testing with the DTEs. It's not a huge change. I feel like people are always so scared to make even these little minor seemingly uh, or definitely are minor adjustments they think are huge changes, and they're scared of the Duraludon matchup, which is still a 50-50, even without the basic energy. You just get different lines of play that you all of a sudden get access to. Uh, nothing really changes too much, or slightly favored for Duraludon, like I mentioned earlier. It's, it's close. It's a close one still. Um, Natalie beat it in the finals, so uh, it's definitely winnable. Uh, <laughs> it's proven. Uh, we've seen it or heard of it definitely um, yeah and uh and yeah just i mean that thing for sure just definitely just just copy natalie's list to start with and then make adjustments from there so one th last thing about mew that i want to make sure we mention quickly is pokemon catcher it was a card that was played a lot in mew in the last format but pretty much for the entirety of this format it feels like that's a card people have moved away from playing just the three bosses orders has kind of become standard and that's usually enough gust but i've heard some players talking online about putting catchers back in I think players feel like it makes it your mirror match a lot better because you can gust a two-prizer on turn one when you're going second, right? Whereas if your opponent just puts two one-prizers in play, you don't get that option whenever you're going first uh, since you can't escape rope up a uh, a uh, two-prize Pokemon necessarily. So what are your thoughts on uh, Pokemon Catcher and Mew? Um, so I, I actually had this this same thought process recently with uh or i had this discussion with someone and my my thought process on it is so look i haven't actually been testing mew a whole ton personally lately 
um because i don't plan on playing it for salt lake so i've been testing it like at all i've been playing pretty much at all um i was kind of on the dt thing dte thing myself at the end of of last week when i played it a little bit um and then you know brisbane happened and my my thought process going into that was i'm just going to see what the australian players do i'm not going to like overly think any deck right now i just want to see what they do right i'm just going to abuse or use like their testing as my testing right just see what their lists come out with did someone break the format and they're bodying mu v max with some dark deck or some rcs deck or something and we didn't see that um and <clears throat> i'm sure they tested catcher but they also chose not to play catcher. I'm sure uh, Kaiwin and Natalie and all them, some of the best players in the world tested catcher and they chose not to play it. Um, sure, sure, it might give you an advantage in the mirror, but how many games are you losing because you're opening double catcher against a, a matchup or a deck where it's irrelevant, you know? So if they tested catcher and they didn't play catcher, uh, I'm pretty confident you don't need catcher in, in Mu V Max right now. Maybe they feel differently. Maybe they're just kind of waiting for the meta to evolve to the next step and then everyone's playing catcher and then... Uh, no one plays catcher, and then that's when you play catcher? I'm not sure. <laughs> but sure. if everyone goes to catcher, um, that sounds like a terrible mirror match to want to play. But maybe those extra flips and those clunkier cards, they don't do enough to actually just outvalue just being straightforward and consistent. And maybe you don't actually increase your win percentage. But yeah, if you're trying to fit catchers like, in, you're, you're cutting into consistency, right? You're like, you're yeah. going to have to cut Rotom phones. You're going to have to cut some ball search cards potentially, or, you know, play, st still stick to two stadiums, right? So uh, fitting catchers in yeah. takes up a lot of deck space. Yeah, so if, if they didn't play catcher, I'm, I'm comfortable just saying you probably don't need catcher, to be honest. That's where I'm kind of at with it, because I have not overly tested Mew. It's something I don't plan on playing for Salt Lake City, so <clears throat> I would probably play Natalie's List plus one stadium <laughs> if, I had, if I had to pick a Mew VMAX deck for Salt Lake. Sure. All right, so let's uh, kind of rapid fire through the rest of these. I want to, or we're kind of running close on how long this podcast is going to go. So there's so many different ways to go with Arceus. If you were playing an Arceus deck for Salt Lake based on kind of the results from Brisbane, which one would you go with? Uh, probably the <clears throat> the quad Arceus deck that you actually had come up with. Um, I played that the other day on stream. I went 21 and four with it or 23 and four with it, I think, at the end. And I only lost to two dead draws and two rapid strike Urshifus. So it was a cra crazy win rate with that. Uh, or the Arceus B-Barrel deck that I had like initially come up with immediately when the set dropped. Mm -hmm. I still really like that take on Arceus. So something with like Arceus B-Barrel or or Arceus, the quad Arceus are like my favorite, favorite takes right now. And I don't think there really is a best variant. It kind of depends on what else is really popular around Mew. Because they all seem to do fine into Mew or at the same, like none of them are that much better. Because you take like the, the Arceus and Talion seems to beat Mew as often as the the Arceus box deck with Maltrace V, right? So if they're beating it at the same rate, yeah. which one's best? You, It's really, what are you trying to beat around Mew? And then I think that's what you want to build your Arceus deck around. So it's really hard to pinpoint what is the best way to play Arceus uh, right now. Definitely. Um, yeah, I love that quad Arceus deck. I sent you that deck. I'd been testing it quite a bit, and it felt like it was pretty good. Just trying to make your opponent KO three 310 HP Pokemon is like insane. Just throwing big charms on the Arceus. And whenever I was playing the Arceus Intellion deck, it felt like I was just losing games because my opponent would KO two Arceus and then they could, you know, they KO'd a Sobble early and then they could just boss an Intellion and they won the game, right? Uh, I wanted to take away that option. So the deck is a little bit clunkier because you don't have draw power, but with the Pokey Gears, you know, four research, four Marnie you're still drawing a lot of cards and and with Starbirth you can kind of get out of some sticky spots. So that deck is super good. I know you did a YouTube video on it, so anyone interested in that can check that out on Azul's YouTube channel because that deck is super, super good. And yeah, I think that it might be something I'm leaning towards, uh, I would be leaning towards as well. So, okay, so what is your opinions on kind of the two dark decks? We'll just kind of group these together. We've got Gengar VMAX and we've got the Dark Box. Which one of the two darkness decks would you favor? They're obviously quite different. Uh, heading into Salt Lake this weekend? Um, I think Dark Box is better if you can find a way to consistently beat Arceus. Okay. Um, otherwise, I'd go with Gengar VMAX, I think, because I think it can kind of beat most things. But you're just going to lose some matchups as Gengar where you just kind of dead draw against anything. You could just have a brick game, it feels like, or a really awkward opening or first two turns against literally any matchup. And if the other game was close, you just lost. So the other I decks in the format are so one. consistent. It feels bad to play a deck that can be clunky, right? Yeah. So that that, that would kind of steer me away from Gengar personally, even though you've got the Beebrills in there, like you have that little bit of extra draw, but just the rest of the format is so insanely consistent. I don't want to drop a game or two in a best of three 
to, uh, you know, just clunking up and not getting set up how yeah. I need to. Yeah, B barrel's like another stage one. You're trying to get out two to three stage ones on your second turn. B barrel's another one that's in the deck that's not more outs to just the other ones to begin with. So it doesn't like make the deck in the first two turns of the game. It doesn't make the deck all all that much more consistent, anyways. So Jolteon won a pretty big online regionals this weekend. I think is how they kind of advertise the tournament. It was a Metafy event on Limitless. Um, yeah, a deck that I think a lot of people had written off since Brilliant Stars came out because people had Manaphy in their decks. Feels like people aren't really playing Manaphy right now. Is there a path for Jolteon to kind of pop in and still be pretty solid right now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as long as your Arceus matchups aren't that aren't bad if they don't play the Manaphy, I think there is because no one's playing Manaphy because no one really should be playing Manaphy because Mew checks Rapid Strike Urchifu pretty hard, especially with everyone playing Oracorio now. And then um yeah so the only thing i mean jolteon always had a fine mew matchup it's mm -hmm. not like it's favorable it's usually about 50 50 sometimes it feels favored for mew it just kind of depends on the lists but um I, I think it's okay and and if it ever does make a resurgence people just add manaphy into the arceus decks and then jolteon will have to go away for a little while and kind of maybe rotate in and out kind of like decidui usually did uh it's kind of the same ago. as with uh urshifu right i mean urshifu was a little different um, you know, back in the Sun and Moon era where Mew was legal, right? Uh, Urshifu struggled a bit whenever Mew came in and out of lists. It was a little easier to deal with, I think, than the Manaphy is right now, for whatever reason that may be. But, uh, I mean, Mew having the 10 less HP is definitely relevant. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, that was we kind of saw that, where like the bench barrier would pop into people's lists, so Rapid Strike Urshifu would decline and play a little bit, and then <laughs> because it declined, people pulled out the Mew, and then it's like, ooh, Urshifu's pretty good again. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we definitely saw that a bit. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to add Manaphy for this weekend, so mm -hmm. if there's... if I mean, out of these three regionals, I if think there's, there's a time, a time to play for, it, yeah. I think it's probably this one, because the next one might be... I don't know. Like then the, the next regional going into like Liverpool, there might be a lot more stadiums in the Mews at that point, because I think this is the regional where we might see a an increase in Pats of the Peaks, and if people don't increase their stadiums in the Mews, then it's going to be Liverpool, where, you know, there's four Path, and now there's three to four stadium back in the Mew, and then <clears throat> that's a little bit worse for Jolteon going into there. So now's a good time for Jolteon, it feels like, low, lower stadium counts in the Mew, and no one should be playing Manaphy right now. Like, even though I'm saying Jolteon is a good time to play Jolteon, still no one should be adding Manaphy <laughs> to the list, so I wouldn't be surprised if Jolteon actually did something like a top eight at Salt Lake City or something sure, like that. Sure, I would be down to see it. That would be, uh, that would be great. And, uh, yeah, one last deck to specifically mention, Rapid Strike Malamar really feels like it has popped up and, you know, seen a pretty decent showing in online events. There were none in the top 16 of Brisbane. Um, the deck has problems, you know, it's a little clunkier and you still struggle to get one hit KOs on to high HP Pokemon. But if the deck pops off, uh, if you draw what you need to, you can beat all of these two and three prize Pokemon decks. Yeah, I actually think Rapid Strike Malar might be the third most, the third best deck in the format if you clump all the Arceus decks together. I think it's like mm -hmm. Mew, Arceus, Rapid Strike Malamar. Uh, and the reason its win rate is so bad <laughs> is because it's a very hard deck to play. Now, Mew is like deceptively hard to play, but Mew's power level is so high, you can misplay so much with Mew and still win <laughs> yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas with Rapid Strike Malamar, if you misplay, you get punished oh, really yeah. hard really really hard um so its win rate is terrible but when you have good players picking up like Tord got ninth in the regional tournament um uh, gabe shumway has been consistently top cutting with it gabe has always been a very good uh, consistent placer in online tournaments so um uh yeah when the good players are picking up rapid strike Malar malamar they are succeeding gabe shumway has been favoring the sincino build Tord played the Inteleon build which one is better who knows <laughs> But um, uh, I think the deck is, I think that I think it might be just the third best deck in the format overall. It's got a great matchup spread right now. And uh, the Cynthia's Ambition really, that one plus extra, one extra card over the Brunos is really a big difference. Oh yeah, it definitely makes a big difference. And then like also with Bruno, you're shuffling a card back into your deck potentially. So, you know, with Cynthia, if you've got a couple cards in hand that are Rapid Strike cards, just drawing straight seven or six off the top is pretty dang good. So any other potential surprises, any other decks that you hope to see or that you think we could potentially see in Salt Lake City? Is this meta counterable? Usually whenever we have formats where there's like an obvious best deck and then like a pretty tightly grouped second and third best deck, it's usually kind of easy to come up with things that can counter those things. 
Yeah, I don't think so. I think Mew has shown that it doesn't matter. You can't, it's not counterable. You can't counter Mew and then actually do decent against the rest of the format. You can, if, and even then though, I don't even know, I can't even name a deck that hard counters Mew that would literally lose everything else. Like, I don't even, I don't even think it exists. I think Mew is just that strong. Um, I do hope if I, if I had to pick, I hope, uh, even if this means I do terrible at the tournament, I hope that, uh, <laughs> couple decks that completely destroy Mew that no one's thought of show up i hope people get some stuff out put it together i haven't been able to put anything together brisbane shows they weren't able to put anything together there was some there's like the arceus dark box ish deck but that thing you know natalie beat that in in top four right so like yeah. it obviously doesn't destroy Mew. um and it and when you look at it it looks like you know it has about the same kind of game plan as the normal hoopa multi decks had against Mew, and that's about a 50 50 maybe slightly favored for them whatever so i would just love to see some decks that destroy Mew. i'd love to see them take over the tournament all of them in top eight put them all in there two testing groups of four people each they both broke the format and they can all play against each other in top eight i'd love to see it so <laughs> i hope someone does that so yeah please if you're that testing group, I'm I'm rooting for you to to, to show up big. <laughs> You've got Azul on your side if you can beat Mew this weekend. So we'll see what people come up with. I'm always excited to see what creative things players come up with. You know, creativity is one of my favorite parts of the Pokemon TCG deck building. I think is one of the most important skills. Meta prepping, all those things, uh, is part of what makes this this time so exciting. These regional events. We want to give a big thanks to everyone for sticking with us and listening to our first po- uh, podcast episode, our inaugural episode. Thank you, Azul, for uh, yeah getting together and helping us uh, make this thing happen, man. It's a good time, and uh, I'm glad we got this underway and uh, got, got this started. Yeah, it's super exciting. I think uh, I was a little shaky in this first one, but I'm going to improve in the future ones for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if you guys enjoyed it, make sure you leave a like. Um, or I don't even know if there's legal, leave a like on YouTube. What do you do on like Spotify? And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're watching this on YouTube, be sure to leave a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. But if you are listening on your preferred podcasting platform, please leave us a rating. It, it goes a long way. Leaving a rating takes just a second. You can leave us a little comment if you would like to as well. But even if you just drop us however many stars you feel are appropriate, it really does Bye. go a long way. And no, you're not allowed to say that actually. <laughs> Wait, what? Really? You're like genuinely. I'm pretty sure you're like genuinely not allowed to ask for uh-huh. a specific rating uh, number. So yeah, you guys didn't hear that. Azul didn't say anything, but yeah, leave leave a rating. <laughs> so yeah, we would really appreciate it. it. Takes just a second, and yeah, that is a huge way to help out a podcast is by leaving a rating. And if you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow the podcast on its YouTube page, on Twitter, and also on TikTok. We're gonna try out posting some clips on TikTok. I'm interested to see how that's going to go. I think that the competitive Pokemon TCG might be a little bit too niche of a category on TikTok, but we'll try for a uh, for a little while and see how the TikTok does. So go show us some love over there if you are a regular TikTok user. And uh, you can also follow our socials. You can follow me on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter at TrainerChip on all of those things. And you can find Azul on pretty much every social media platform uh, at Azul GG as well. Yep. We're going to be trying to do these things every Tuesday morning moving forward once a week, so you don't want to miss it. Be sure to subscribe to this YouTube channel so you can get notified or uh, follow the podcast on your podcasting platform. Good luck to all the players in Salt Lake City, and thank you guys so much for listening. Peace.